Haw. How about that? Last month, I, uh, well, let's just, let's just say hello first, shall we? Welcome. Welcome to episode number 58 of the Homesteads and Homeschools podcast. I am your host, the Liberty Hippie, taking you through another, another fun-filled episode talking to uh, a friend of mine. We will get into that. I just want to say thank you to everyone who who shared, commented, uh, yada yada yada. I uh, I put out a, a had a little goal last month to reach four digit download, and and as of the recording that I did on Thursday, which was probably Monday or Tuesday, uh, it, it looked like it wasn't going to happen. I was way behind, but uh, the last the last two days of February, there was a giant surge of downloads, and it uh, surpassed. Our, our biggest month yet. So thank you all to you guys out there making that happen. Uh, it, uh, it spurs me on, makes me keep getting, keep recording these, these things, I guess. But, uh, anyway, um, like I was saying, I have a, a special guest today for this super duper special Tuesday because it is super Tuesday and I have a super guest. So I met today's guest, the stateless cook on the Homestead at Homeschools uh, Discord server, which I link to in the show notes, which you can find today at homesteadsandhomeschools.com slash 058. I met him there. He, he hangs out and he chats here and there. And, uh, you know, turns out he's uh, he's got some background on things and that'd be fun to have him on to share. And he will probably come back on in the future to share some more. He's going through a master gardener class uh, now. So could be should be interesting to to hear about that uh, in, in the future. Anyway, uh, for now, as you can guess, he is a, a chef, a cook of sorts, and uh, yeah, we got talking about food and regulations on food and all that good stuff that comes along with with food when you're selling it, when you're growing it, etc., etc. Let's go plant those liberty seeds with my guest, the stateless cook, and his jolly knives. So my guest today is the stateless cook. Uh, I, I bumped into him in the, the Discord channel server thing that uh, I, I've set up, um, and uh, I wanted him to come on today to talk. As you can tell from from his name, he's a he's a cook. He does some some cooking, and um, cooking can be brought back to food, of course. So I, I wanted to have him on today, and we can talk a little bit about that and some of the things that he sees in in his world and how that can all relate. So thank you for, for coming on today. I appreciate your time. Absolutely. Glad to be here. <laughs> not a problem, not a problem. So you, I know you do do some some gardening, some some homesteading of, of a sort. What uh, What does that look like? Like physically, or <laughs> <laughs> do you do you uh, are you are you inside? Are you outside? Do you have like a, a big a big patch of everything? Or... So kind of a little bit of both, depending on the time of year. Um, for the most part, I do most of my growing outside, but I live up in North Dakota, so needless to say, the winters are not very conducive to year-round gardening. Gardening. Yeah, because it gets quite cold uh, today. For example, it is like negative thirty with wind chill. 
So it's a, it's a little too cold for plants, though <laughs> there are some things that I'm working on building to, uh, to kind of help counteract some of that for outside more year-round things. What can, what, what can you do um, when it gets that cold? You do like a, a greenhouse cold frame type setup or something? That exactly. Actually, um, does that actually get it warm enough that you can grow your, your cold crops? So it doesn't get cold enough that you can start germinating, or it doesn't get warm enough that you can start germinating new seeds. Mm-hmm. But one thing you can do, especially with a cold frame, greenhouse, of course, that depends on on your specific greenhouse setup. Because I mean, if you've got a, a greenhouse setup with good insulation and electricity and so forth, you can, you could grow things, new things even year round, because at that point, who cares what it's like outside? You've got an <laughs> indoor environment. Yeah. But with cold frames, what you kind of do is you go with um, like cold tolerant crops, things like your kales and uh, mustard greens are a little bit cold tolerant, um, Brussels sprouts, radishes, beets, those kinds of things. You put them inside the cold frame and then you, you can mulch them a little bit. So you, 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 let me back up a little. You start growing them, say, in late September, early October, when it's still warm enough, especially with the cold frame, that they, the seed can germinate and it can start to grow. But before you start losing too much light and heat and so forth, and then you leave it in the cold frame over the winter. And because the plant is still warm enough, it's still living. It's just not really growing anymore. So it acts sort of like, it acts a lot like a root cellar basically at that point. Yeah. So between the cold frame and then you can put, you know, big stones and things like that in and covering them with some mulch to help keep the heat in. You can keep the plant alive, but it's not really doing a lot of growing anymore. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. We can, uh, I can do that down here in Georgia, but I don't need a cold frame. I just, I put my beets in, in the, the fall and they, they grow a little bit through the, the winter and then spring comes around. It's there they are. But uh, <laughs> you're in Georgia and if yeah. it got down to negative 30 there, uh, the entire state would probably shut down. Oh, yeah. Whereas here, negative 30 is just another Wednesday. Yep. No, I I, uh, uh, I don't know. I, I I went to school up uh, northern New York, just south of, of Canada. And uh, I think I'm done. I think I'm done with the, the cold, cold. But, uh, <laughs> you know, and a, a lot of people are that way. And that kind of makes me happy in a lot of ways. Not necessarily you specifically, but well, yeah. there's a lot of people <laughs> that don't want to live up here. And that makes me happy because I don't want a lot of people around me. There, there is a, I think, I think it's almost kind of the same way in some parts of the South, like where I'm in like middle of Georgia and in the summer, it is an inferno, man. I go out in the garden and I'm barefoot and I'm like jumping around. I can't do it because the ground is too hot and I, and oh, yeah, I don't sure. wear shoes. You know, it's not because my feet are sensitive. It's because the ground is like roasting. A hundred degrees. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, so did you, did you always grow stuff as a, as a kid or was this something you kind of picked up later on in life? It's something I've uh, much more heavily picked up recently. Um, so my family's not always, but frequently had a garden mm-hmm. and we were not super successful with it for the most part when I was a kid. So my, do you, do you know why? Was there any, like, was it, did you just kind of, we didn't do what we needed to do. Okay. Plain and simple. It was on us. 
so my dad doesn't have quite the green thumb. He was the one, I mean, he doesn't have a black thumb or anything like that. It's not like he kills plants, but he doesn't really have the green thumb that his father and his grandfather had because my, my, my great grandfather was an apple farmer up in Ohio. And then, uh, so my grandfather grew up on an apple farm <laughs> and nice. so they, they both had quite the knack for gardening and dad did not quite pick up a lot of that. You know, he, like I said, it's not like he was killing plants. He just didn't pick up the same kind of knack that they had. So our garden had, it, it didn't get the kind of work that it really needed to be, to have, to get the kind of success you'd want. And then as I've grown older and I have become, well, to be perfectly frank, an anarchist and, and distrusting of everything that's a big system, pretty much. Uh, and I've wanted to become more and more independent. I have started growing more and more of my own things again to reexert some control on what I put into my face and into my body. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, uh, I don't blame you. It's, it's, um, even when you get like organic vegetables from the store, you know, what does that, what does that actually mean? You know, oh, like, there's all, <laughs> you know, you get all these definitions and all this stuff and it doesn't, would you like to know what I it means? Know. Yeah, Especially I mean, the organic vegetables, absolutely dick. Yeah, yeah. It, um, you know, and that's and that's the way it's set up. All these these definitions that uh, don't mean yeah. anything and get amended, and and um, you know, and when you're able to to control that, when you know like what you're growing and what you put on that plant and what you fertilize that plant with, um, exactly. It's just, it is that it's some of its control, some of its health, some of it's just, I don't know. There's just something at the end of the day, I feel better in like the summer or the spring when I, you know, have a plate of beets, venison and, and Brussels sprouts, you know, like it's could be all mental. I don't know, but I just, there's something about it. I'm like, oh, this is, this is great. I like this, you know? Almost certainly some of it is mental. I mean, yeah. there's psychosomatic responses to various things are not to be understated. That said, almost guaranteed a fair portion of that is not mental and it is actual physiological changes or betterment or whatever that's happening because you're eating the beets and Brussels sprouts that you grew in your own yard and you didn't put all this other crap onto it. And I assume the venison you probably shot or somebody you know shot. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it is, it's, it's one of those, one of those things. But, um, so you, uh, do you have like a something that you kind of a type of crop that you you are more heavily involved in, or do you kind of keep things spread out? I I kind of kind of go all over a little bit. Uh, some of it is because, like I said, this is a still a moderately new thing for me, so I'm kind of learning what I like, what I don't like, that sort of thing. And then the other part being so. Uh, I, the, my garden location is, first off, it's a city lot. You know, I, I live inside a town, town of about eh, 50,000 people or so, so it's not a tiny town either. Hmm. Only one in North Dakota? <laughs> no, there's like six of them <laughs> of moderate size. Yeah. Um, Fargo's actually even almost big, almost. Almost. But uh, so, you know, it's it's inside a city lot and... It's on my parents' property specifically. So 
you know, some of this is also going to them. And so they, they, they want a little bit of variety and I want some variety too, because I don't generally like eating the same thing all the time. Mm-hmm. And so some of it is, I'm still learning some of it also too. I'm not having a huge focus yet because I am in the process of converting, I would say probably the lion's share of the uh, lot that does not have a house sitting on, on it into garden of some variety or another. Nice. How, how are you going about that? Or what's the, what's the plan for that? So the front, the backyard is pretty well, like about half of it is dug up right now for a big garden plot. And that's going to stay as is. But then in the front yard, what I'm going to be doing is kind of slowly adding uh, raised beds into it. I'm building the boxes for the beds myself. And then we'll fill them in probably like two or three of them a year until we get that basically filled in. I, I expect I should have probably somewhere between half a dozen to maybe as many as eight, like two foot by four foot boxes put in there by the time all is said and done. Good deal. Have you, have you looked into, I think there's some, some like square foot gardening and there's some, some yes. styles, some types of gardening where you can really, if you really like figure it out, you can pack a whole bunch of stuff in those smaller yep. spaces. Uh, I have looked at some of that and I mean, the, it basically boils down to uh, companion planting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which I would imagine you and your listeners are both familiar with. But briefly, of course, um, it's plants that grow well next to each other. So uh, put something like uh, lettuces and tomatoes. Okay, good example, of, I believe, anyway, of a companion planting. So you put your tomato in, you put your lettuce in, your lettuce will grow very quickly. So by the time your tomato plant gets big and starts producing then the fact that the lettuce is going to be shaded isn't that big of a deal. Plus the lettuce usually can take a little bit of extra shade anyway. And while mm-hmm. the lettuce is growing, it's going to shade the ground some. So the moisture stays in the soil. So your tomato plant has more ready access to moisture, nutrients, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And so you can pack these things in next to each other very closely. Yeah. The, um, I think the big one everybody kind of thinks of is the, the, the three sisters there, you know, the yep. corn and, and beans and uh, squash yep. of some nature. And yep. that's always, that is also a huge one. That's really kind of the first one. And there's, there's some out there, believe it or not. And I, I can't recall offhand. I want to say, Oh goodness. I don't know. It's tomatoes and another one where like, there are some plants that don't like to be next to each other. Like when they're together, they don't do well. And it's, yes, you know, it's surprising. You're like, Oh really? Like I I didn't know that. Yeah. (laughs) There are uh, some, I could not tell you what they are off the top of my head, but I know I've got lists of them in various books and so forth that I've gotten over time. But yeah, there are definitely, it's something you definitely need to look at if it's something you want to start doing because I think what it is, generally speaking, and I think is you that you you start dealing with uh, like soil pH levels and nutrient requirements, and that's where you start getting a lot of the counteracting with each other. So you, you're growing some food there. Um, you're a a cook of sorts. Yes. So what? I how uh, what kind of cooking do you do or what kind of chefing do you do or what is the, the proper proper verb so, there at this point what i am is i'm a personal chef so that means i do 
in-home work for my clients. Um, specifically, what I do generally is I uh, prepare meals for normally like a week at a time for them. So all they have to do is some very minimal amounts of cooking at the end when they're ready to eat. It's for people that are busy or they just don't like to cook or all that kind of stuff. So this way, most cleanup is all done. Most of the prep work is all done. 10, 15 minutes and you've got whatever the heck it is. Okay. And now do you, so that's, that's a, a local thing that you do in, in yes. your community? Yes. I'm, I'm curious, how does that, um, how does that work? You do deliver meals in like the beginning of the week and they put them in their fridge or do you, is it like a every, every other day? Essentially. Or? Yes. I, I go in, I go in and um, get everything prepared put into containers and then into their refrigeration and whatever it is they've got. So then all they have to, and make sure everything's labeled, give them the directions for what they need to do to finish those last couple steps type of thing. Mm -hmm. So then all they have to do is, okay, it's Monday. We're having <laughs> whatever the heck it is. Uh, yeah. Chicken paprikash. There we go. That's one I made for a client just the other day. So, okay, what do we need to do for this? We're okay. We need to put it into a pan. We need to heat it. And all we really need to do is heat it up gently for 10 minutes. Okay, cool. Got it. And we're having whatever with that. So, all right, that's what we got to do. Do that, serve it and eat. It's impressive. I, 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 there, there are days when uh, that'd be very, very nice to have a, something like that. <laughs> yeah. Well, and like, so the, the client that I just mentioned that that was like, they don't have kids or any, well, they have kids, but they're adult children and they're out of the house, mm. you know, but this is a, a couple in their early fifties, but they are not only farmers up here, which is busy enough in and of itself, not so much right now, but you know, in general, yeah. but they're farmers and they also own um, a, I think they deal predominantly with fertilizers, a, a farm, a, an agricultural fertilizer company on top of farming their own land. So especially here in another month or two, 18 hour days is the norm for them. <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah. I don't know. It's, 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 it's impressive. That's, and that's, that's neat. A nice, a nice service. Do you, do you um, like give them a menu or do they kind of tell you what they like or what, how does, how does that work? Yeah, a little bit of both. So, um, yeah, it's the initial meeting and sit down and figure out, okay, what kind of things do you absolutely hate? What do you not like? What do you love? You know, do you have any kind of dietary requirements, allergies, etc.? And then, yeah, that's all part of the services. I go, okay. I, I do all the thinking for them. So I, each week I go, here's what I think would be a good menu for you next week. Do you like it? Do you not like it? Okay. If they like it, we go with it. If they don't like it, and then, you know, they'll say, I don't like this. I don't like that. Whatever it is like, okay, what do you think of this instead? All right. That looks great. Cool. Okay. That's what we'll do. Then. So then I get, do all that planning for them. So they don't even have to think about it. Do all the shopping for the, the menu and then do all the preparation. Mm -hmm. Do you, uh, do you find do people, do people care about the, the, type of food, whether it's like organic or if it's, you know, 
can of chicken soup or something? Do do people tend to weigh those things at all? Yeah, just like with anything else, yes and no. It all depends on the person. You know, some people are like, I don't give a crap. Just make sure it tastes good and (laughs) is filling. Some people are very specific. You know, and that can be any from anything from dietary. You know, like um, the one client that I've mentioned a couple times now is they're they're both have recently started doing the keto diet. So needless to say, there's things that we have to do differently for them than I would for somebody who is maybe having the same dish, but they didn't have any kind of dietary requirement. Gosh, that's got to be tricky, trying to get your, your head around all these different uh, diets out there. It, it can be. Some of them are more complicated than others. Uh, luckily, where I live, some of the more complicated ones are not commonplace. Not a lot of vegans up in North Dakota, for example. So I don't have to worry too much about that. Oh, man. Right. I mean, so, they exist, but there's not a lot of them. Well, winter would be cold, I guess. I don't know. Something yeah. about a nice, nice hearty stew in the middle of winter is yeah, always... Yeah, well, you know. and eh, I, I could probably rant about veganism for quite a while, but I'm not <laughs> going to. Because there's a lot of things about it that just don't add up to me. But it's like, you know what? You do whatever makes you happy. You know, especially because most of them are... are a lot of vegans are vegans because they rightfully, I would also like to go ahead and point out that rightfully say that there are a lot of problems with the um, meat, poultry, dairy industries mm-hmm. and how they do things. And there absolutely are, there is a substantial portion of people involved in those industries that treat the animals like garbage. Yeah. And that's just, it is truly disgusting, but on the flip side, you're also kind of harming yourself, I think, by not partaking in a more ethical manner in some of those products. Yeah, I um, I can't remember the episode, but I had a, a girl on. She was a, I don't think she was vegan. I think she was vegetarian for almost a decade at least. And then she became a butcher. And she's like an ethical butcher and they go and they, before mm-hmm. they bring the, the cows in to, to be broken down, you know, they go out and they visit the farms and they see where these animals are living and they see how they're treated. And, um, you know, they, they don't do the factory meat. Um, and so the people that get, get meat from them, they know where it's coming from. They know that it's been sourced. And I think that's, you know, kind of, it's something right. Like to know where your yeah, food absolutely. comes from and to actually and, and know. And it's kind of like, nice in in a different sense too. So one thing that of course had been going out for quite some time was the small like mom and pop butcher shop type of thing. They're making a little bit of a comeback again. Yeah. And that's all that nice stuff. to see. It is. It, it's uh, it, a lot of that like smaller. I think people are in general kind of, there's a little bit of uh, questioning of, of all the, the big, agribusiness and and there damn well should be it's uh, yeah and it's it's kind of neat to see it creeping in a, a little bit there yep, um, absolutely so you're you're a, a chef there you're a cook did you get into like the nutrition side of things then or are you more um, along the so food side or i went to culinary school low these many years ago uh, getting close to 20 years ago to be precise but um, 
so we did have a nutrition course there. And then throughout the, the course of my career, I have kind of maybe not as in depth as some, but I've kind of stayed on top of a lot of it just to see, you know, because it's, it's important professionally. You know, what are, what are people eating? I don't necessarily, it started kind of as just that, you know, what are people eating? What are, what are trendy diets, that sort of thing. So you can design menus and the like, but then as I started reading more and more about it, then I started kind of diving a little bit deeper into some of the nutrition science because of my own just personal curiosities. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, um, it's kind of, it's a weird thing, right? Cause it always, it seems like every time you want to look into nutrition as like a, a lay person, um, it's just always changing. It's just oh, ever evolving, whether it's like the food pyramid so. or like, you know, <laughs> what, whatever it is, you know? Um, yeah. So I, I can imagine trying to stay on top of that. It, it must be a, an interesting thing that you. Well, and the big part of the big problem with it is those organizations that tend to put that information out or have tended to in the past, they have had ulterior motives and ulterior agendas. And so as the, in, the information age and the internet is a wonderful tool and time for many reasons, because now, yeah, sure. Maybe you're some crazy weirdo in a basement someplace with like $2 of funding, but with the right information and the right tools, you can do some very serious science and get it out to everyone. And then you know, you are the proverbial David to Goliath in this case, and they have to respond. And so you get more quote unquote serious people looking at it and you start finding out that a lot of the information that they've been feeding you for decades is just garbage, just garbage info. Yeah. It's uh, I, I remember, I feel, I feel like it's been out for a while, but I just remember like the whole sugar thing. You know, when, <laughs> when it came to light that like, yep. oh my God, the, the sugar industry has paid off doctors. Like, no, no, no kidding, guys. Like, you really? Think? We just, just figured this out. But Oh, the sugar industry's paid off everybody. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think I mentioned it in the Discord the other day, or I know I've mentioned it in odd Discord I'm in. If nothing else, we're talking about this. The sugar industry is a great example. They have a literal cartel set up with the backing of the United States federal government. Yeah. There are import maximums, annual maximums <laughs> because of the, the American sugar industry. Like, so you've got countries like Jamaica or the Dominican Republic or things like that that grow a ton of sugar cane, ton of sugar cane. They have more sugar than they know what to do with half the time. They can't send most of it here because we won't let them. That's the big reason why most of our uh, sodas, you know, Coca-Cola, Pepsi, all that kind of thing, why they're not made with cane sugar and they're made with that high fructose corn syrup because there isn't enough damn sugar. Or if there is, it's so freaking expensive because of the import maximums that they just can't afford to do it not and keep their product at the price that they want it at. So they go with something else. That's that's crazy. And, and, and yet we, we subsidize the, you know, corn industry and we subsidize so, so we can pretty much everything into, that's agricultural uh, right and, and turn into what like you know food gasoline and, and sugar and it's i don't know i, I man 
Oh, yeah. uh, well, but uh, yeah, it's it's insane. <laughs> it is. It is. It's it's a it's a it's a nightmare. Um, do you run into any 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 of that when you are preparing meals and stuff? Do you have any licensing or any any sort of stuff like that that you have to go through? Or had so to go that's through? the beauty of being a personal chef, and that's why I'm a personal chef instead of a caterer. Okay. So at least where I live, and now most just about anything that has to do with food is subject to state and local laws. There's almost nothing on this on for this particular part of the food industry on the federal level. Almost everything is state and local, and the bulk of it is local. So your local health departments and all that kind of crap. And I definitely use the word crap for the health departments because they're garbage. <laughs> but um, so at least where I live to be a caterer, which a caterer is somebody who makes food someplace else and brings it somewhere. You have to have a separate kitchen, entirely separate. You do not use it for your own personal use at all. And then you, it has to be inspected periodically and all this kind of crap and you need some licensing and so forth. Being a personal chef, however, and this is this way in most places, there is almost zero licensing because what you do is you go into the client's home and prepare it for them there. Oh, okay. So you're providing a service, not a good. Interesting. Okay, so mm-hmm. you go you go into their home and you actually prepare it for yep. them there. I, I do all of my work there in the client's house. Okay. So, uh, but then like you I said... Just, I gotcha. So then you just put it in the fridge like then as you do it. Not yeah, like, right then and there after it's done, you know, after it cools down a little bit, in you go. And like I said, at that point, I'm providing a service because the service is cooking for them versus providing a cooked good that I am then selling to them like a caterer would be doing. That's uh, that's nice though. You have to buy one of those like $100,000, $200,000 uh, kitchens for yourself, I guess. So. <laughs> Depending on the size, it could be way more than that. There's, I, I've been in some kitchens because most of my cooking experience was restaurants. Okay. And I've been in some kitchens that are probably easily close to a million dollar kitchens. Oh, man, if you were to nuts. set them up brand new. Do you think any of that really matters? Like how, how much does it, how much does it matter? Like, you know, if you're, if you're using good hygiene, if you're you oh, know, using good none. techniques, does like, that- if you're talking about just like from a hygienic standpoint or any of that, ab- precisely zero. Um, it, as long as you maintain your kitchen. Well, I mean, think about it. We all eat out of our own kitchens all the time, literally every day, damn near. Right. Have you ever made yourself sick? No, I, I don't. I don't think so. No, I <laughs> in my 38 years of life, which I've done a substantial amount of the cooking for myself and my family. Um, I do not believe I have literally ever given anyone food poisoning in my own home. No, there's been one or two kind of quasi dicey moments in a restaurant, though. Okay. So I mean, it's. You know, and and I, admittedly, in in the restaurants, I've certainly cooked far more meals than I have at home. Right. Because I mean, you know, you serve a hundred people in the course of a day. Well, there's a hundred meals. Yeah. And you do that five nights a week, so you, you pile up the cooking experience very quickly in a restaurant. But yeah. you know, I see. Honestly, I actually see far more hygiene problems most of the time in a restaurant than I do in somebody's own home. Yeah, I I, I believe that it's one of those things. You know, you kind of. 
when, when it's small, when it's, you know, where it is and you know who it's going to. And you know, that, uh, when, when I give my kids this, uh, meat sauce, that's been out for three days, um, they're, they're going to get sick. I know who's going to, you know, it's a lot, a lot different than when you're just, you know, handing it off to a, a, a nameless face, you know? Yep. Well, and especially too. So, I mean, some of it's a little bit of a mentality, you know, like, so in a restaurant, restaurants run razor thin profit margins, right? 3% profit on a restaurant is amazing. Like you're rolling in. And if you're running three to 5%, most of the time you're talking one or two, one or 2% profit margins. And you need, so you need to squeeze every penny out of those things that you can, Yeah, which means food that maybe you should possibly get rid of, but you're almost, you're like 99% certain you're not going to make anybody sick and the quality right. hasn't degraded that much. Yeah. You go ahead and use it because you throw it in the garbage. You might as well just be pitching a handful of dollar bills into the garbage. Yep. You know, so you, you, you go that one extra day, even though you maybe shouldn't because man, that tuna costs $25 a pound and I really don't want to throw it away. Yeah, <laughs> I can, I can imagine. I can imagine that. And no doubt some of that, the, uh, the lack of profit margin has to do with all the, the, the fees and the licenses you got to take care of, you know, and if you got rid of some of that, that certainly doesn't help. You might be more willing to, uh, to toss something that oh, yeah. uh, would cut Absolutely. into it. But when you're just trying to skate by, um, yeah. And and skating by is a very accurate term for it. I mean, so, I mean, businesses, of course, as I'm sure you know, new businesses, they, they have a fairly high failure rate. Right. Restaurants, the last I had heard something is one out of every, no, excuse me, two out of every three restaurants fail in their first year. Of the remaining you usually only have about 20% of those make it past five years. Wow. <sighs> so you've got a fraction of a fraction that survive for multiple years. And even then, I mean, they're a shitload of work. They are a lot of work to make them run. I, I, I don't know, but I can imagine. I, I you know, seeing, seeing all the work and, and I've seen, I know, I know, guy sort of that owns a restaurant and knowing when they go in and when they actually open up and <laughs> when they leave and what time they're actually closes. It's well, amazing. I'm, so my last executive chef job, um, we opened at that one was only open for dinner service as well. So we opened at like four or five o'clock in the evening, closed at like 10, I think it was. So obviously I'm there for that, but I was in by like 10 o'clock in the morning. Most days didn't leave until 10, 11 o'clock at night. That's crazy. And that was, that was actually a shorter one. The executive chef gig I had before that one, 16 hour days were the norm. That's nuts. And that That's was nuts. five days a week. And then on my days off, days off, liberal use of air quotes, I still would have to go in for anywhere between two and four hours because I had shit to do. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. That's crazy, man. I'm glad I, 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 uh, I'm not in the, the restaurant business, I guess. <laughs> it is. I miss it in a way. Yeah. But I also don't in others. And it takes a special kind of screwed up person to want to do it. <laughs> it is a brutal industry. Uh, there's also a reason that the restaurant workers are, I think they're like, so they're, they're in the top five of most likely to use and abuse drugs and alcohol. Uh, did not know that. Yeah. They're, they're way up there and they're also pretty far up there for suicides by career. Oh man. That's crazy. Never, never, never put that up there. Yep. It is a super high stress environment. All right, man. Um, thank you for coming on. Anything else you want to mention there? Plug your, plug your, I know you got a website there where people can find some, I do some stuff you got. Is is, is it a nice, simple one to remember too? It is the stateless cook, all one word. So T H E S T A T L E S S C O O K dot com where I write things, albeit incredibly infrequently. I am trying to get my ass into gear and and plan my time better so I actually write more frequently. But I write on a variety of things, things that you talk about too, I'm sure, you know, um, growing your own food, what it means, finding your own food sources, what to do with it once you've found it, and then just the occasional ranting and raving about the government. (laughs) (laughs) So you can find me there. Uh, I am also on Instagram. That is the only social media that I got. And that is Michael underscore of underscore Barbary is the username there. You'll, you'll recognize me probably by the guy with the badly Photoshopped pirate motif, (laughs) badly Photoshopped on purpose because I thought it was hilarious. And, uh, yeah, that's pretty much the only places you can find me. All right. If you go to the website, buy a shirt. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 uh, I'm digging those shirts. There's some cool, cool shirts up there that you've, uh, put together. I was especially proud of the, uh, reduce, reuse revolt one. Yeah. It's, uh, it, we, uh, I just did a, an episode over at, uh, free markets, green earth with, and we talked about, talked about that, um, the recycling and, and, you know, just the the whole idea of what recycling is and what actually happens to it and how just absurd it it is. Yes. Uh, but uh and there are considerably better ways to recycle and reuse various substances, not just the things that you'd think of, you know, your your cans and your soda bottles and so forth like that, but everything, everything. So most of the, real briefly because I know you, you're kind of on the clock here, but real brief, <laughs> briefly, most of the woodworking that I do, which I occasionally post on my Instagram there, and the garden boxes that I mentioned that I, I'm making, mm-hmm. all of those, every single thing that I do is out of old shipping pallets nice. that stores are just throwing away. I go load up, I haul them over to, to my house, I break them down, and I reassemble them into means that suit me. Nice. And that is a prime example of recycling that no one thinks about recycling because most of it is perfectly good wood it's just going to go into a landfill someplace or you can make something useful out of it 
Yes. Yeah. It's uh that's it's um there's a, a break uh, company around here that uh, out of Germany and they have a plant here. And so they get all their shipments in on pallets and mm-hmm. not, they, they can't use chemicals because it's coming from overseas. So it all has to be like super heat treated. Um, and all the pallets are like Euro sizes, all metric stuff. So nobody around here has any use for it and they throw them all out and they will, they, they honestly, to God, they, they pay somebody to come cut them up, throw them in a dumpster and then they take the dumpster off. Yep. It's like, that's just like mind blowing that like nobody has yeah, found a use for that. Or you could just go you know? grab them for free and they'll probably thank you profusely for taking them off their hands. I, 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 I've grabbed a few and I'm, I need to go grab yeah. a few more. Um, oh, but, yeah. uh, it's, it's amazing what's, what's out there if you actually kind of think about some mm-hmm. things. And... and all it takes is a little bit of looking. All right. Well, uh, I, I'll let you go. Um, I'll put those links in the show notes. Um, forward them on over to uh to some of those shirts and uh some of your your writing i know writing is is tough to do these days i don't know something about it just hard to find time yeah anyway man i, I appreciate you coming on um absolutely and, thanks for having me uh, Thank you. Thank you for listening. Now, don't you want to have him back on to talk about the master gardener class he's taking and uh, all that he's learned there? And um, should be should be interesting. Could be could be interesting to to hear what he has to say. Um, I've I've never taken classes like that. Um, done some reading on my own, but uh, it'll be be interesting to see. Anyway, like I said at the top show, thank you guys for uh, for checking this show out and sharing it around and helping those downloads to grow. Check me out on Twitter, HS and HS Pod. If you're on Facebook, Homesteads and Homeschools, um, or you can join the forum there, Homesteaded Homeschool Forum. Uh, it's not very active, but you know, it's there for you if that's your thing. Go to the show notes and check out the Discord server. Uh, that's really, I think, where it's it's going to be happening. Um, you know, it's fun. It's a, it's a, it's a nice place to share ideas and to bounce ideas off each other and. Uh, Point me in the direction that you would like to hear this show go. Uh, I'm, I'm open to suggestions. Uh, and you can get to the Discord server by going to homesteadsandhomeschools.com slash 058. And there will be a Discord server link right in there. So go go and do that. And if you are curious, that uh, episode I did with Kate Kavanaugh is uh, episode number 55. So you can find that at homesteadsandhomeschools.com slash zero three five. And, uh, you know, as always, homesteadsandhomeschools.com slash Amazon. That's my Amazon affiliate link and, uh, all the, the little dollars and cents that, uh, I get when you click through and you purchase something help to, you know, negate the costs of, uh, of keeping this thing going. So go and, and do that. If you're thinking about purchasing something on Amazon, uh, I know you are. So Please don't lie. I, I don't like that. Come back next Tuesday when my guest will be uh, someone that is running for the uh, presidential nomination of the Libertarian Party, and it uh, was quite a it was a fun conversation, really a good conversation. And I encourage you guys come back and check that out. But in the meantime, 
get out there, sow those seeds of liberty. We can all reap sheaves of freedom together. I'm gonna ride us this dream. I'm gonna ride us this dream.